It should be no surprise to many of you when I say that I love chocolate. I do. And as a connoisseur, I have my favorite brands and styles and pairings. Cho Chocolate, the Bay Area chocolatier that used to be located on the Embarcadero, uh, is one of my favorites. I took their tour and realized that my love of chocolate and my desire for justice could be combined into full-blown chocolate snobbery. <laughs> that was a good day. But before I get too carried away by child labor concerns and purity codes of chocolate versus candy, let me simply say that Cho would tell us real chocolate only has a few natural ingredients. And the two most important are cocoa nibs and cocoa butter. The chocolate's flavor is dependent on the cocoa itself, where it was grown, how it was processed, etc. And dark chocolate, my favorite, gets its rich flavors from cocoa nibs, or grounds of cocoa left in the mix. White chocolate, on the other hand, uses milk particles instead of cocoa nibs, which changes the color and allows for more of the cocoa butter flavor to come through. These days, it seems that bitter is the flavor marker of an elevated palate. In coffee, chocolate, and other adult beverages, bitterness seems to be equivalent with better. Sharp espresso. Dark, dark, 70, 80, 85, 86% chocolate or on menus across Marin and in Valentine gifts given and received this weekend. I've heard it said that the simple sweetness that is white chocolate is a supposed marker of a young palate, a reminder of childhood and the good old days of simplicity and sweetness. This is the way I have always approached today's scripture about Jesus and the transfiguration, as if it's white chocolate. Simple, obvious, and without much depth. Those of us schooled in Christian language and tradition may recognize this word, transfiguration, and know the story immediately when it is said. But I grew up in the church, and I didn't know the story until I had to read it for class. It seems an obvious choice for inclusion in art and children's books, but it is left out of most of the children's Bibles and curriculums, including godly play. I wonder why, then, it is included in our worship calendar every year. It's given a place of honor in the Christian calendar, but it's unclear to me why, when so many of our resources and faithful expressions seem to dodge it. Now, I am not going to make a case today, today that the story is actually fine, dark chocolate with almonds and toffee. No. But I do think there are more layers and flavors in this story than what may at first appear. I'm thinking milk chocolate. It would be pretty easy to try to explain away this text of miraculous light, dead people showing up, and a booming voice in a cloud. It would be. And these are exactly the stories in the Bible that leave many of us scratching our head. We can appreciate all of the obvious cultural references within the story. We can identify the cocoa nibs and pieces of the Jewish tradition. Patriarchs from the ancient Hebrew stories in the book of Genesis and 1st and 2nd Kings. Mark's audience would have known their stories well. 
we probably recognize Moses, although we may first associate him with the escape from Egypt and the Ten Commandments, before we recall that his, the, all of his secret meetings with God on mountaintops. And I'd bet most of us do not recognize Elijah or recall the stories of his great deeds with God's help. Perhaps in this story we identify instead with the disciples, with Peter, who in his discomfort flails around trying to figure out what to do, making plans that are neither wise nor needed. Or perhaps we identify with the other disciples who do not say a word, frozen and paralyzed. Jesus leads them back down the mountain without a spoken word. Sometimes when we think of this text, we get concerned with theological questions. What does this story say about Jesus or the practical? How might we respond to God's call to listen to his son? I wonder if we are missing part of the importance of this passage, the part where if God were a chocolatier, God would want us to sample. For God is coming through to the world, to the disciples, in an especially brilliant way. And if our palates are ready, we might be able to join in the awe and wonder of God's flavors. Now, I am not concerned with the literal facts in this story and trying to nail down which mountain, how white was Jesus exactly? What was going on psychologically inside Peter's head? Rather, I wonder what the gospel writer is trying to tell us about an experience of God in Jesus. I wonder because in my experience there are moments of transformation when our DNA does not change, but our perceptions of ourselves and others do. In those moments, when we recognize God's presence in a new way, it might seem as if we are blinded by truth and awe. Now, our culture loves this idea of transformation, and there are many other books we could explore on this topic, transforming our lives, our work, our relationships, our pets. Is there a difference between what books describe and what we experience? I wonder. I would hope that my faith would lead me to greater wonder and awe. And I wonder if it is faith that takes a breath and names the radiance, gives thanks for the experience, and calls it holy. As people of faith, we claim that the Spirit is acting within and around and among us, and thus there is an aspect of transformation grounded in the hope of love we know and we call God. For somehow, God is in these moments. And I would wager that that is exactly, it is these precious moments exactly of recognizing the Spirit that keeps us coming back to this community, back to prayer and back to worship. You know, it's, we are blessed here in Marin because it is easy to go outside, point in almost any direction, and breathe in God's glory. Annie Dillard shares a moment of profound awareness and beauty in her own neighborhood in her work, Tinker Creek. She had heard of this tree with lights in it, and she wanted to see it for herself. She writes, It was for this tree I searched through the peach orchards of summer, in the forests of fall, 
and down winter and spring for years. Then one day, I was walking along Tinker Creek, thinking of nothing at all, and I saw the tree with the lights in it. I saw the backyard cedar where the morning doves roost charged and transfigured. I stood on the grass with the lights in it, grass that was holy fire, utterly focused and utterly dreamed. It was less like seeing than being seen for the first time, knocked breathless by a powerful glance. Gradually, the lights went out in the cedar, the colors died, the cells unflamed and disappeared. I was still ringing. I had been my whole life a bell and never knew it until at that moment I was lifted and struck. I have since only very rarely seen the tree with the lights in it. The vision comes and goes, mostly goes, but I live for it, for the moment the mountains open and a new light roars in. In Dillard's experience, this tree with the light is more than a brilliant nature moment. There was a powerful connection and revelation for her. Can she name it? She does a pretty good job of describing it. And I wonder if we might call this a God moment, a moment of glory in the presence of something so real and powerful that we are struck with awe. Especially here, we are used to hearing about such God moments in nature. And I wonder if there are moments that we might name and share if given a non-judging space to be heard. I wonder if there are God moments in our lives we have not shared because we fear what others might say, because our path was a little bit more off than normal, because we might sound like those Christians. I wonder if there are God moments that we hold inside because words fail us, and we cannot ever quite capture the profound sense of awe that we experienced nor can we get back to that exact vivid moment. I wonder what it would take for us to let go of our assumptions of how God is supposed to show up and to let go of our fear and simply celebrate the many ways the Spirit leaves a mark on our lives. What would it take to let go of our expectations of where God will meet us and fall back in love with the mysterious, amazing, complex fullness, the flavors, of the living God. Now there are many stories of faith-filled people experiencing God, both in the scriptures and in the world around us. They take many forms. One of the most visceral, for me, is the way Archbishop Desmond Tutu describes the transformation of the South African people as they struggled to claim a new identity after apartheid. He describes their first election cycle like this. Everywhere else, elections are secular, political events. Ours was much more than this, much, much more. It was a veritable spiritual experience. It was a mountaintop experience. The black person entered the booth one person and emerged on the other side a new, transfigured person. She entered weighed down by the anguish and burden of oppression with the memory of being treated like rubbish gnawing away at her very vitals. And she reappeared as someone new. 
I am free, as she walked away with head held high, the shoulders set straighter, an elastic spring in her step. How do you convey that sense of freedom that tasted like sweet nectar for the first time? How do you explain it to someone who was born into freedom? It is impossible to convey. It is ineffable, like trying perhaps to describe the color red to a person born without sight. It is a feeling that makes you want to cry and laugh at the same time, to dance with joy, and yet fearful that it was too good to be true and that it just might all evaporate. You're on cloud nine. The white person, he says, entered the voting booth burdened by the load of guilt for having enjoyed the fruits of oppression and injustice. He emerged as somebody new. He too cried out, the burden has been lifted from my shoulders. I am free, transfigured, made into a new person. He walked tall, with head held high, and shoulders set square and straight. Walking tall in dignity, flailing about without the right words, quietly walking down the mountain, walking the path with new expectations. These are all faith-filled stories and responses to a God who shows up unexpectedly. And like fine chocolate, your life and taste buds will never be the same. However God shows up in your life, however you experience transformation, whatever metaphors you might use, whatever flavors tempt your palate, may your life be enriched by the experience of being present, saying yes and thank you to God's awesome power and transforming love. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.